Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Identifying and Meaning the Language Preferences of Health Plan Members. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 11, 2018. In this podcast, Darcy L. Graves, Special Assistant to the Director at the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, Office of Minority Health, talks about effective communication with individuals with limited language proficiency, as well as overall patients and beneficiaries. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here today to talk to you about uh, effective communication and the importance of effective communication in working with not only individuals with limited English proficiency, but all of their uh, patients and beneficiaries. And uh, in that vein, on the next slide, you will see uh, one of my favorite quotes when it comes to talking about communications. And that's a quote attributed to George Bernard Shaw, and it's, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And I think this is a quote that we can all relate to because we've probably all seen conversations happening between, you know, either our parents or our children or um, our neighbors where people think they are communicating, but in reality, it it is just an illusion. And uh, this illusion is deeply problematic when we look at it within the healthcare setting. And one of the things that we know is that poor communication can end up being one of the primary reasons for litigation, for poor health outcomes, and uh, many other things, which I'll highlight during my, my brief overview today. Uh, if we go on to the next slide, I want to talk a little bit about healthcare quality. And these six domains of healthcare quality were identified by the Institute of Medicine back in 2001. And we talk about quality in terms of safety, effectiveness, patient-centeredness, timeliness, efficiency, um, and equality. And I think it is safe to argue that if you don't have effective communication, if you're not truly communicating with someone, with your patient or with your provider, then it's, it's easy to say that your care is not necessarily, is not safe. It is not necessarily going to be effective. It certainly isn't patient-centered or efficient or equitable if you're not successfully understanding your diagnosis or um, uh, giving, giving permission to do whatever, um, you know, to treatment, to surgery, and any of those things. And communication, when we look at it in the healthcare setting, becomes, uh, it's exponential. I think we lose track sometimes of how much communication takes place uh, during the healthcare encounter, both behind the scenes and um, just in all of the moving parts. And if we go on to the next slide and into this video, uh, it shows the um, the number of communications between providers and patients. And hopefully the video will start playing um, in just a moment, but here we go. So this is an illustration on the complexity of patient care that came from uh, a Dr. Matthew Press who described the interactions he had on behalf of a single patient who he had referred to for a uh, tumor resection. And this 
diagram shows all of the different kinds of communication that took place over the course of uh, 80 days. There were over 40 communications, five procedures, and 11 office visits. And you can imagine that during the course of all of these things, the patient was receiving written communications, they were receiving phone calls for scheduling, they were receiving emails about um, where to go and what to do, uh, and then there was the, also the office visits themselves. So now, uh, so that's just, you know, that, that just shows the, the plethora of, of communication. And then that's just in the clinical setting. When we go to the next slide, we think about more aspects of the patient experience. And while many of these points may be outside of an, you know, your purview or your organization's purview, they all still culminate in the patient experience. And you can look at these three, the three green boxes as being the boxes that were kind of uh, that were addressed in, in the video we just saw, the meeting with the nurse or the uh, physician's assistant, meeting with your clinician, going through therapy or surgery or treatment. But then you see all of these other parts of the patient experience in blue, and you see that there's a lot of other points of contact where communication and being able to understand what's going on is important to the patient making sure they have insurance coverage, finding a doctor that is included in that coverage, getting an appointment to see the doctor, arriving at the office or hospital or clinic, wherever uh, that is. So did they have to take public transportation and understand that, or were they able to get uh, you know, the GPS in their, on their phone to, to navigate to, to where you're located? And then is it easy to determine where to park? I know, um, you know, I'm a native English speaker, and there are some times where and I arrive at a new healthcare facility, and I struggle with where am I allowed to park, how much is it going to cost, what are the chances I'm going to get a ticket, and trying to figure out all of those things. And then finding the front door, finding your doctor, checking in, filling out any additional paperwork that you might have, um, then seeing your clinicians, checking out next steps, going to the pharmacy. I saw we had a couple of pharmacy folks on this webinar, and I'm always excited to see uh, that point in the in the healthcare continuum included in these in these webinars. Um, thinking about the tests, the blood work, the radiology, any of those things, you know, those prescriptions and uh, orders that the clinicians might have written, and then getting home. All of those pieces all kind of contribute to the patient experience and all involve a great deal of communication on behalf of the, the patient, the family, um, and, and those that are serving them. So now we've talked a little bit about all the different places that communication takes place. Why is it important? When we look at the next slide, we see that patients who report effective communication are more likely to be satisfied with their care. They're more likely to share pertinent information for accurate diagnosis of their problems. They're probably, you know, if you're, if you're not uh, feeling like you're being listened to or if the communication it doesn't feel uh, effective, you're less likely to share information that, that may be relevant to your, to your diagnosis and, and to coming up with your treatment plan. 
they're more likely to follow advice, and then they're more likely to adhere to the treatment that was prescribed to them. On the flip side, we look at the next slide, and we see what ineffective communication is, uh, is attributed to. And now we're um, going to the next slide on ineffective communication, slide 18. And so we see, you know, ineffective communication results in uh, patient-provider miscommunication, which may result in delayed diagnoses, misunderstanding of care plans, medication errors, lack of follow-through by the patient, and a misuse of health services. There's also that lack of trust and confidence in the provider that we just alluded to before. Um, and that may result in, in low patient satisfaction and lack of patient willingness to, to ask questions or to even answer questions, follow the prescribed treatment plans, or share information vital to making sure that the plans that are uh, being made, the, that are being negotiated, are, are accurate. Um, so. You know, all of that is just strictly communication, and then we add that layer on about communicating with individuals with limited English proficiency. And we see that on slide 19, over 1.8 million individuals are duly, el duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid speak a language other than English at home or do not speak English fluently. And LEP uh, individuals, uh, are, are defined based on a census question, how well do you speak English? And it's very well, well, not well, or not at all. And if you answer anything less than very well, you're considered limited English proficient. As we've noted, individuals with limited English proficiency face a greater risk for poor communication during healthcare encounters, and it's associated with lower quality of care Identifying and meeting the needs of individuals' language preferences is vital for effective communication and high-quality patient experience. And so, uh, and when we're talking about language preferences, and I'm sure my colleagues are going to hit on this as well, there can be language preferences for both spoken and written. So that's another nuance that we should be cognizant of. Uh, in addition to what I'm sure are going to be great presentations from my colleagues, I just wanted to share two quick resources that we have at the CMS Office of Minority Health. The first being, uh, this is some of many, but when we talk about identifying language preferences, data collection standards are out there. And so what we've done is created this compendium of resources for the standardized collection of demographic and language data. It highlights best practices and guidelines for healthcare organizations in implementing standardized data collection. It includes links to training tools, uh, webinars, probably such as this one, and Sentinel articles and books that provide in-depth discussion and issues, challenges, recommendations, and best practices in standardized data collection. And then another resource which uh, I help to lead is a uh, the development of a guide to developing a language access plan. Now, language access plans are not required, but they're just a, a good idea to, to have because undoubtedly your plan or your clinic or your organization is going to encounter individuals with limited English proficiency. And having a plan in place allows you to be proactive rather than reactive in providing the best possible care to these individuals. So rather than saying, thou shalt have a language access plan, we came up with this, this 
what we hope is a really user-friendly guide to developing a language access plan, and it walks organizations through some of the basic sections or common sections of a language access plan, the needs assessment, uh, language services, so oral interpretation versus written translation, uh, providing notices about the availability of these services, training. It's so important that everybody in your organization knows that you provide language services and how to access them and how to use them effectively, and then always making sure that you're evaluating uh, the services that you're providing, not only to make sure that they are high quality, but that they are meeting your, uh, your patient and beneficiary stakeholder needs. Um, making sure that the language is both uh, linguistically but as well as culturally appropriate. So uh, that's just a, a real quick overview of things. We uh, will uh, get down to uh, the website uh, where the two resources I just mentioned and many, many more is located on go.cms.gov slash OMH. And uh, please feel free to, to check that out. There's a, a wealth of resources there. But with that, I will uh, end my part of the presentation. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.